We're in this David series, and um, I was thinking about David and, and his life and how things went. And, uh, you know, in this past summer, uh, for part of our summer holidays, we camped for a week just outside of Headley, next to the Similkameen River. And one day, it was a hot, lazy, uh, sunny afternoon, uh, we decided, I decided as dad, that it would be a perfect day for a river float. And so Ange made, she's awesome, just gets all the great drinks and treats and stuff and put together in a cooler and grabbed the dog and blew up all the floaties. And um, we had arranged with the campground manager, he had a big truck just to kind of drive us uh, down the highway a little ways upstream to where the river crossed under the highway. And, and we walked down and took all the floaties down there and got in and, and away we went. And so we just float all the way back down to the campground. And uh, I had the big, the big dinghy, you know, the, 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 the cool big one, and uh, had the dog in it and the, all the drinks and the cooler and the snacks and the towels and, you know, all the stuff, all the supplies. And Ange and the girls went in, uh, went in their smaller dinghies. And uh, the day before, we had been at Asuyas Lake. We were kind of all over on, on our holidays and, and, and trucking around it. And we were in one of the one of the stores down by the beach, and they had this giant yellow rubber ducky. You probably saw those the last couple of years. Like this, it's like a, it's an overgrown pool floaty. It's a great big, basic ring with a, a big head that comes on. And the kids were like, "Can we bring the, the ducky? You know, can we bring the ducky?" And I was like, "Oh, whatever. Okay." So we, I tied the ducky behind mine. You know, I was like, "Mother ship going down the going down the river." And so um, we we got in and pushed off, and away we went. And I don't know if I mentioned it was a perfect day. Like I was, I was just. You know, oh, floating, it was beautiful. Until we heard what sounded like jet engines. And I knew that there were no jet engines because we were in the middle of nowhere. There's like nowhere for miles. And um, what was sounded like jet engines was actually running, rushing water. And before we knew it, we were not on a river float. We were whitewater rafting. And um, uh, I... The kids were screaming, and I, I held on to, the, to, the, to their rope that was on their dinghy as hard as I could. I didn't want them to like, get washed away and, and be gone. It wouldn't be good for your kids if that happened. So I was like holding on to the... And, then, and the dog is like freaking out. So I got the dog, and, and the paddles are going up. You can't steer. And I was like holding on, holding the dog, and around and around. And, and Ange, I don't know like, where she went. And, um, and we went up and down and hit the bottom and hit rocks and over and, and uh, it was, it just, I don't, it, it, you know how um, we go to the channel in Penticton and you have the nice easy river, it was just not like that, it just didn't turn out that way and, um, and so we got, we got through the, the rapids and, 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 and got through in the bottom and the kids are, are screaming, right, dad, the, the day is getting flat, going flat and I looked and you know, it was like this, and I blinked, and it went down again, I blinked, and it went, and like, in like a matter of seconds, we were pulling a flat dinghy in behind, and they swam over to the yellow rubber ducky, and uh, it's the first time I was thankful that that thing cost me 40 bucks, and I had it with us, and so they're holding on to the yellow rubber ducky, and we come around the corner, and we find Ange, and uh, now, um, she's, she's on the... She's on the side of the river, and she's uh, covered, like soaked head to toe, and she's emptying her, her dinghy out. And, uh, and I could tell by the look on her face that she was not in love with me anymore. <laughs> and uh, this was my idea. And you know, my, you see, my wife is, um, 
my wife is super strong. Like, she's courageous. She's, she's uh, probably the only, like, lead pastor's wife in all of Canada that has excelled in roller derby, been a star on the roller derby circuit. She's probably the only lead pastor's wife who got first place in the, you know, provincial bikini bodybuilding champions. And she's, she's out there. She's courageous, and she's doing it. But she, uh, she does not like water. And she does not like fast-moving water. And I'm the one that put her in that, that position. And so away, you know, I, we kind of convinced her to, you know, it's going to be okay. And there's no more rapids. It's fine. It's okay. And uh, so she got in and, and, and away we went again. And it was all good until we heard that sound again. And the dog is like, <laughs> and I grabbed the dog and I held on to the kids who are now on a rubber ducky with their feet wrapped around and they are screaming, and down we go. And, um, and Ava, my youngest, she has her head down, and she's just like, ah! and, and Natalia, she's our, she's our adventurous, troubled middle child. And, um, and uh, no, she's not troubled. She's just our adventurous middle child. And she, um, I'm troubled from my, my middle child. But um, she, uh, she looks over at me, and she says, she says, Dad, the only good thing about this day is that it's going to make a really great story in a sermon at church one day. <laughs> and, uh, and so we went, we went through, and, and uh, these rapids were bigger than the first rapids, and, um, and Ange was gone again. And so we went around the corner, and there she is. She's on the side again, and she's like, that's it. I'm not going. I'm done. So I'm, 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 I'm done. And, uh, and I was like, no, honey, honey, come, it's, it's okay, it'll be okay, it'll, it'll, it's fine, there's no more rapids. It's, she goes, no, I'm done, I'm walking back. And I'm like, you're on the wrong side of the river, you have to get back in. And so I convince her, and we keep going, and uh, we shot in total five rapids that day on the Similkameen River, and uh, in our pool floaties. And, um, and we went around, the, the, when we got down near the campground, we went around the corner, there's an, uh, an older couple sitting in the water, drinking their beers, and, uh, and uh, they came around the corner and they said, man, we have seen a lot of things come down this river, but we never saw a big, ugly, yellow rubber ducky before. <laughs> and um, what had happened is when we were going through the rapids, because it, was, it was actually ended up being tied on because it was just supposed to be a tag along, the rope tightened in so tight in it that it made the head really big and bulbous. And... Um, and so we, we, got to the, we got to the bottom and we, we got to the campground, walked up into the campground with our flat, ripped, shredded floaties and I opened up the garbage and went to throw them in and there's like a pile of ripped, shredded floaties in the garbage <laughs> at the campground. And um, we walked by and, a, and another family, we walked right by their, their campsite, walked right by them and, and the lady says, hey, how'd you enjoy the river float? And, uh, and Ash looked at her and says, I hated every minute of it. And she said, yeah, us too. We did it yesterday. It was awful. And um, so we think that the campground guy is a psycho, and he just likes to take families and uh, send them on their way. Um, but the, the, the point is that nothing, nothing went the way I thought it would. Like, the day started with a French press coffee, and it was perfect. And it was sunny, and it was quiet in the campground. And the afternoon hit, and... I was like, let's do a river float, and it was going to be great. It was going to be perfect, and it just didn't end up that way. It just didn't go that way, and um, it's interesting how so many times in life we are in situations and we're in things, and it doesn't end up going the way we thought it would, 
And um, the river kind of took us in a bit of a different direction. And we, we are at its mercy. We couldn't change it. We couldn't do anything about it. And um, as we, in the David series, I was, the reason I was thinking about that story is I, David's life does not go the way we would have expected it to. It doesn't go the way he would have expected it to. You see, David is anointed as king, but he doesn't get to be king. He actually had, ends up staying as a hidden shepherd boy. And, and he ends up not even really doing anything until he slays the, the giant, until he slays Goliath. And, and he's not even supposed to be there. He's actually not a warrior. He's not in the battlefield. And we talk about David being an unlikely hero. It's because when, when they picked him as a king, he didn't fit the list. He's a very unlikely hero. And um, he was an unlikely warrior. He, he didn't know how to, he didn't have any armor, he didn't have any experience, he didn't have anything. And in fact, the reason he was there when Goliath was taunting God's people, the reason he was there is because his brothers were soldiers and his dad sent him with bread and cheese to take his brothers who are in the battlefield, take them some lunch. And then he ends up there and then he hears Goliath taunting and then he kind of begins to step up into the scene. And it kind of looks like things are gonna shift, like maybe there's a changing for David. And out of that story, he gets invited into the palace. And he's with the king, he's with Saul. But the, the problem, of course, is that there is another king and he's a bit of a, a, a lunatic. And he's in power and David is not in the palace because he's king, even though he's anointed king, he's not there as king. He's there as a servant in the king's household. And while he's there in the king's service, he, of course, excels, and he begins to grow in popularity. And what we think is that finally David's getting some recognition for putting his life on the line and all of his accomplishments, and, and, and he becomes the most celebrated person in the kingdom, and he's famous. And we think finally David's gonna, he's gonna get something. And what ends up happening is Saul becomes so jealous and so insecure. Saul becomes so um, gripped by fear that this young kid is gonna take over that he decides, I'm gonna get rid of him. And he is infuriated with jealousy. It grabs his heart. And so Saul hurls a spear at David. He's gonna kill David. And so once again, things are not going the way David expected them to or the way he thought they would. Once again, it takes him in a whole different direction. And what happens in the story where, where we pick up today is that after David realizes Saul is gonna kill him, he has to flee for his life to go into hiding. David loses everything. In fact, in the scriptures coming out of when he leaves and he flees, it, it, it says that he um, it has to beg for, for food and for bread and he has no supplies. He has no one to take him in and so David ends up in a cave. So here's the, the one who killed the giant and defeated the Philistines, the, the one who was welcomed into the palace, who became the most loved and celebrated person in the kingdom, the one who was anointed as king, and he ends up running for his life. And things do not work out the way for David the way he thought they would. And at this point in the story, when we find David hiding out in the cave with the king trying to kill him, he is about as far away from being king as it gets. And I want to read this passage of scripture from 1 Samuel 24. So it's a, it's a lot of verses, but it's, gonna, it's, it's important for us to have a little picture of what 
David was going through and some of the things we can learn from his life during this time. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Uh, But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. And so David crept forward and he cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe and he said to them, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my king so I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and he'd gone on his way, David came out and shouted after, my Lord and king. When Saul looked around, David bowed before him. And Saul shouted, uh, he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say I am trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. And some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It's a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. And as the old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate, and he will rescue me from your power. And when David had finished speaking, Saul called back, is that really you, my son, David? And then he began to cry. And he said to David, you are, better, you are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today. For when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power. May the Lord reward you, reward you well for your kindness that you've shown me today. And so David's own men are convinced. They're, they're pressuring David that, that, that Saul has been delivered into David's hands. They've prayed for this moment that they would be able to defeat Saul and, and they would be able to defend themselves and they'd be able to be set free from this and that this whole tyranny and this, this, this chase and the, trying to evade them and living as a refugee out in the wilderness and the forest, and they would get through all that. This whole menacing thing would get behind them. David could get his life back. He could deliver his family and friends from the danger that they were in. And if David killed Saul, David would become king. And David is faced with a decision, and it's very interesting. There's a lot of theological significance, and David, he chooses not to kill Saul. He chooses to take the high road. And things are okay for a while. There's, there's some peace for David for a short time, but it doesn't last long. And in fact, it's just a, a few more chapters over, and, and Saul goes into another jealous rampage. And once again, he takes out 3,000 of his best warriors and he hunts down David and they're camped out on 
on the mountainside. And, um, and as they're all asleep, David says, I gotta go sneak into the camp. And he, and he gets one of his men to go with him. And the two of them, they sneak into the camp and, and, and all the soldiers are they're encamped all around asleep and Saul is in the middle. And they tiptoe and go through and they go right up to Saul. Everyone's fast asleep. And Saul's spear is stuck in the ground by his head. And the guy who is with David, he's like, man, let me do it. Just give me the go ahead. I'll grab that spear and I'll plunge it right into his chest. I won't miss. I won't need a second chance. I can finish it. It will be done. You'll get your life back. You can become king. You can become king in this moment. You're justified. He's hunting you. He's hunting your family. He would not show the same mercy. He would kill you in an instant. He's already tried. You can end this right now. And David says, no, don't harm him. And instead, they take Saul's spear and they take the water bottle that's sitting on the ground beside Saul and they, and they, they begin to leave the camp. And as they're leaving, they, they wake up the soldiers and they, they go, to the, go to the edge and, and they all stand and everybody's waking now. And once again, David says, look at the spear. Look at the water jug. It was right by your head. I was right there. I could have killed you in your sleep, but I didn't. And once again, Saul is ashamed He's ashamed of what he's become. He's ashamed of how the jealousy and the rage and the dysfunction has grabbed his heart and turned him into this monster. And, and, he, and he weeps and he's broken and he lets David go in peace. Well, by now, David has played this record a few times. He knows that um, Saul is not gonna give him peace. He knows that it's not gonna end. As long as Saul is alive, David is going to be hunted. And so he goes into hiding again. And in fact, we don't see David or hear from him until Saul dies. And it's a long time later. It's a long time after. And Saul, Saul dies and, and, and David gets news of Saul's death. And then he comes out of hiding. And it's not until that happens that the men of Judah anoint David as king. And here's the interesting thing is it takes 15 years, 15 years from the time Samuel looks at David and anoints him as king to the time the men of Judah actually make him their king. 15 years. For 15 years, he faces one obstacle after another when life does not go the way he thought it would. And as difficult as those years were, what comes through David's story out of those 15 years is that somehow he manages to keep his heart pure. And I think this is the gold in the story of David and when he's out and, the, and he's, he's running for his life from Saul. You see, the reason... He did not pull the spear out of the wall and hurl it back at Saul. The reason he didn't slit Saul's throat in the cave, the reason he didn't plunge the spear into Saul's chest when he was asleep is David didn't want to become the very thing that he was running from. The very evil that was pursuing him, David wanted nothing to do with. He wanted to keep his heart pure. He didn't want to defile himself with the same rage and jealousy and paranoia and fear and insecurity that had made Saul's heart 
so toxic. You see, David believed that it was God who promised him he would be king and it was God who would get him there. David did not want to force things through. He didn't want to take things into his own hands. He didn't want to defile himself. And so here's kind of what I want us to think about today. Could it be, could it be that David's real battle all those years was never with Saul? Could it be that on the surface it looked like it was about Saul, but there was something deeper happening in David's life? Could it be that the battle David was in for those 15 years was really for his heart? Maybe Saul wasn't the real enemy pursuing David. Maybe the real enemy that David was in battle with, that David was learning to defeat, to overcome, to not give in to, was the temptation to compromise, to try to get things done on his own strength, instead of relying on God to do it himself. to compromise his life and his heart and his convictions to advance himself. Maybe this is the battle that David is really in. And I suggest to you the real battle for David is keeping his heart pure from the same toxic stuff that had defiled Saul's heart. And David didn't want to defile his heart for this reason, because in 1 Samuel 13, we see that the prophet announces to Saul that he will lose his kingship. His kingship is over because he defiled himself and there was evil in his heart. That's why he lost the kingship. I'm going to get the, the band to come. We're going to get ready to close. It's not a very long talk this morning. Pretty simple talk. 1 Samuel 16, 7. This is when Samuel goes out and he's looking for the next king. You see, when, when God announces to Saul that he lost the kingship for the corruption and the deception and the stuff that was in his heart, he also says, I have picked a new leader. I've chosen a new one. And that one, that next one that's coming, he's pure in heart. And what we see is a couple of chapters over when Samuel finds David, the people are like, no, 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 he's, he, it's not this one, it's this one. This, look at this guy, he's, he's, he's more important. He looks better, he fits the part. And what happens is a prophet says, hey, you know what? The Lord doesn't see the things you, you see them. People judge by the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, David had no skills, no experience, no money, no power, no followers. He had none of the attributes that people look for when they're picking a good leader. God picked David for one reason. David's credentials were that he was pure in heart. Think about the significance of that. Because we have a long list of reasons why God can't use us. Because we don't fit the part, we don't fit the mold, we don't... That's why David is such an unlikely hero. 
Because the one thing that God wanted in David was his heart. And David's battle was never with Saul. The battle was always about keeping his heart true when life didn't go the way it was supposed to. And I would say that that those 15 years before David stepped into the kingship role were fundamentally important to who he was because he learned the battle is for his heart. And in fact, when we see the life of David, when we look at the life of David, it actually is a battle for David's heart, even after he's king, again and again and again. It's where he's tested. It's where he has to make decisions. What would David do when he was treated unfairly, when people gossiped about him? What would he do when people spoke ill of him and wished him harm? What would he do when he was the victim of injustice? What would he do when he lost everything? Would David give in to the darkness? Would he turn his heart over to revenge? Would he rely on himself and take things into his own hands? Would he run ahead of God? Would he grab the spear out of the wall and throw it? Would he slit the throat? Would he plunge the spear in Saul? Would he look after himself to get himself forward in life? I hope you hear so clearly this morning that David's battle was never with Saul. His battle was always to keep his heart pure. And I would say that regardless of where life takes us, regardless of how unforeseen and difficult and the obstacles and the stuff that comes when things don't work out the way we think they should, we expect them to, we want them to, we plan for them to, when we're faced with these incredibly difficult, sometimes unfair obstacles and things that are pushing against us, may I suggest that first and foremost, the battle is always for your heart. Psalm 51 Verse 10 says, create in me a clean heart, God. Renew a loyal spirit. Renew a right spirit within me. And David says, do not banish me from your presence and don't take the Holy Spirit from me. And what he's talking about is he's talking about the fact that Saul defiled his heart and he lost everything. And David is saying, God, I don't want that to happen to me. God, would you keep my heart pure? Would you renew my heart? It always comes back to his heart. And so this morning, the talk is so simple. Four words, God wants your heart. And I don't know what that exactly means to you, and you may have some different understandings of how that works out. It might even be a little bit different for all of us. But our heart is that innermost part of our spirituality, of who we are. It's our spirit. It's, it's the essence. It's the core of who we are as a person. It's what makes you, you. And that is the part of your life that God wants to own. That is the part of your life that God wants to capture. And what we think is we always think it's about all the other stuff. It's about all the list and all the attributes and all the gifts and all the stuff I can give and my accomplishments and how good I am and what's my sin rate this week and all these things. And we have all of our list on the reasons why we can and cannot serve God and do things for God and accomplish things for God. And we focus on all those things. And the scriptures are clear. 
that God chooses and God uses on our heart, not our resume. Your resume doesn't mean anything to God. God wants the innermost part of who you are. So I want to pray for you this morning. Lord, in this moment, we pray for the, pray for the church. We, we ask that, Lord, you would once again, once again, Lord, you would renew our heart. I wonder this morning as we're just in this moment, this, just this paused sacred moment with our eyes closed and we're just, just thinking about our own lives and our own heart. How many of you this morning would say that I have sensed my heart getting cold and toxic and jaded and shut out and scaled over and I want the Lord to renew my heart. I want my heart to be captured by God the way I know it should. How many of you this morning, just slip your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. I want my heart to be captured by God this morning. You don't have to hold it up long. You just say, yeah, that's me. I wonder this morning, could it be that you're here and you've heard talk, you've been thinking about Jesus, you've been thinking about what it means in your own heart. And, you know, to be a person of faith, to be a believer in Jesus, to to become a Christian is really about saying, God, would you, would you take my heart? I give it to you. And I wonder in this moment, in this moment of prayer, maybe there would be someone here that would say, yeah, you know, I haven't, I haven't really yielded and given my heart over to the Lord yet, but I want to, I want to give that to him this morning. I wonder if there's anybody here that would say, yeah, I want to, I want to give my heart over to Jesus this morning. Lord, I pray for those that raised a hand this morning to say they want their heart to be renewed. Jesus, the battle is always for our heart. Would you always protect our heart? Would you always help us to be soft and moldable. Lord, that we wouldn't be cold and cynical and shut out and jaded and hurt. And Lord, all that stuff, we just pray that you'd take all the jealousy and the bitterness and all that stuff out of our heart. And God, that you would purify us right in the innermost part where our motives and our, where, where the core of our being is. Lord, that you would renew us. I pray in your name. Amen.